I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today on Fairy God Boss Radio. Today, I am so happy to be joined by Jill Anderson, who is the Senior Vice President of Strategic Planning and Power Supply at Southern California Edison. Jill, welcome to the show. Hi, Romy. Great to be here. Thanks so much for joining us. Could you tell us about you, your career, and how you've achieved this this enormous and important role at SCE? Sure. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a mechanical engineer and I've been in the energy industry my entire career. Uh, one thing that I think has helped me is, is that I started managing teams pretty early. Uh, and another, another thing as I reflect back on my career, I think resiliency has been something that's been a common thread throughout the jobs I've had, either physical resiliency or, or personal and career resiliency. And so I thought I'd share maybe just a couple of, you know, big career transitions. Uh, my first manager role, I was in New York City. I was 22 years old and fresh out of engineering school uh, in a construction job. I was actually managing a team of highly experienced electricians and mechanics at the World Trade Center where we were rebuilding the electric infrastructure that had been destroyed in September 11th. I was working wow, for Con Edison. Yeah, and you know, it also very powerful. I think everyone was really had a lot of pride and was happy to be part of the reconstruction. Um, and it was a really great opportunity for me early career. Uh, I'm sure your listeners can reflect back about kind of those early career moments and things that shaped them. And, and for me, that experience kind of being a new manager, but on this really big job um, in an important, you know, an important transition for the city, um, something that, that itself was a lot about, you know, resiliency about New York City bouncing back. And then after that role, I transitioned from, you know, managing individuals and, and later had a role managing leaders. Um, and, you know, I went from kind of that field and construction uh, environment into the office and had an opportunity to also work internationally. Um, so working both for Con Edison and then later I moved to Hess which is an oil company, a global energy company. Um, I got my MBA at night while I was working, uh, which were, you know, some really long days and really long nights studying. And I'm really glad I, I did imagine. that early in my career, right? I look back at it, especially now with a family, and I don't, I don't think I could, could make it work now. Um, and then, you know, the last part is a transitioning from managing leaders to, to in my more recent roles, managing executives. So, I would say by by energy industry standards, I probably moved into an executive role relatively early in my career. I was a, a director at age 29 and a vice president president a, just a couple of years later. Um, and in these transitions, I also branched outside of my own experience and expertise of engineering. I I led corporate communications and our public affairs when I was at the New York Power Authority, and that's was a pretty unusual role for someone with an operations background like me, but it was an incredible growth opportunity, um, you know, just figuring out how to leverage leadership skills that could be applicable to any subject matter. Um, and also, you know, just 
being able to go after an opportunity, um, you know, even though you might be hesitant about, you know, am I going to, can I do this? And, and I think that's some, uh, sometimes, while it's a scary thing to do, sometimes those are, are the best career decisions I've, I've made. And, and that brings how me did you, today. Can I actually back up and ask you, how did you transition to that role? What prompted you to do it? And then, um, you know, did, did you pursue the change? Did someone recommend it to you? Did someone tap you to go into communications? Yeah. So I was, at the time, I was the chief of staff to the CEO at the New York Power Authority, and I was overseeing sustainability and energy policy at the same time, which was kind of in my wheelhouse. And we had a, a, several executives who were retiring in that corporate communications and regulatory affairs area at the same time. So as the chief of staff, I was tasked with you know, looking at some org options. I think I even worked with one of our organizational consultants to draw up some, some you know, scenarios for how do we manage this transition with several executives retiring. And I, I think I clearly remember the day I walked into my boss's office as a CEO and I laid out the plans that, that we'd come up with. And then I said, and you should, you know, you should put me in as that vice president because even though I've never run a corporate communications team. I know what you want. I know what the organization needs. And, you know, what you really just need is a good leader. And, and I want to be that leader. And I was maybe a little bit impulsive, but uh, it ended up working. You know, uh, I don't know if I would have they, gotten they it. They just agreed and said, yes, okay, son. we will. Well, it wasn't, it. it's never that easy, right? He, it was, uh, we'll try it out and um, you can take that role, but you need to, you know, continue in the chief of staff role. And so I ended up getting two jobs for the price of one. Price of one, <laughs> yes, um, not the right. first. Uh, yeah. But for me, I think I saw it as that was my move from director to officer. And I was willing to do, you know, to do that extra work to prove myself. And, you know, I didn't have to do two jobs for long as, as I transitioned into the additional responsibility. I was able to hire a deputy. Um, underneath so that I could, you know, kind of get out of the day-to-day aspects of the chief of staff role. And, and as we saw that was working, um, I was able to, you know, continue to add more responsibility. And then I moved from... That's a great story um, because it's very courageous and very deliberate. Um, and you also seem to have had a very uh, strong sense of what skills or or um, credentials would would set you up for success in the future yeah you looking in hindsight I think it always looks um, like everything was perfectly planned I think there's definitely some some of its luck and timing and being will being willing to try something new you know going from an engineering background into into that side of the business with um, you know working with government officials and media and all of that I was definitely outside of my comfort zone, um, but I benefited from some, you know, strong people who were on the team who, who helped me learn the ropes. And then I also really focused on, instead of focusing on everything that I didn't know, like I didn't, I didn't know, you know, the perfect formula for how to write a press release, but focus on the things I did know, like I was pretty adept at social media and that's the direction that corporate communications was going. So I focused on the social side, um, helping the company in that area. So that's an yeah. amazing and then, story. 
Yeah. So, but I was that job for a couple of years and I did want to get back into a business line. So uh, that was another case where I was pretty um, specific with my boss saying, I'm having a great time. I'm learning a lot, but the next time there's a role opening in a line organization and I want to get back into operations. So out of that job, then um, an opportunity presented a few years later and I became the chief commercial officer for the New York Power Authority. So that I had to leave behind the corporate communications and regulatory government affairs side, but um, got back into, you know, running power plants and the, you know, business of trading energy and working directly with customers. Amazing. And it was from that job that I moved across the country. So uh, that was about two years ago. Um, I was really drawn to California with, you know, the commitment that we have out here with Southern California Edison and, and the whole state committed to clean energy and how we're going to address climate change and benefit our customers. So um, picked up and moved my family across the country uh, two years ago. So it's been a, quite a transition. With small children, with two small children. Yeah, at the time, my oldest was four and my youngest was 18 months. We were still, you know, with bottles and diapers and uh, even just like the flight, you know, the, your final move where all of our household belongings had had been put in a truck and were, was driving across the country and we get in a plane from JFK. I mean, we just kind of like we missed our flight. Then we're like barely holding it together. We ran out of milk oh my God. and we were like, on our last diaper, and I was like, I said to my husband, I don't know if we can do this, uh, but you know, he said, well, <laughs> wait for that. Mm-hmm. So, it's kind of, it's uh, happening. It's here. <laughs> it is, and and it all worked out. We're actually, we love California, and and my girls are doing great. So, it all worked and out. And you love the work you're doing at SCE. Yeah, I, you know, I'm just so excited about uh, all of the progress that we're already making on clean energy just all across the country and so much especially in California and I'm really happy to be part of it here in in SCE. Right it's really on the cutting edge. Now normally I I ask my um, interview subjects how gender has played a role in your career uh, but I'm especially interested to hear I mean from day one, showing up as a mechanical engineering major undergrad, you must have been in the minority. Uh, can you tell yeah, us what it's like yeah. to have been a female engineer? You know, definitely starting in the college classroom, I was one of, you know, either a few women or kind of later courses, sometimes the only woman in the room. And, and that's been true throughout most of my experience, Um you know, I think there's some notoriety that comes when you're the when you're the minority. I remember my first construction job; there were probably a hundred people on site, and I was the only woman. And so I I could say it's a pretty safe bet they all knew my name, right? Um, you know, but usually it's like, oh, you're that woman I heard about. So it's not always positive. Um, to, you're a legend to be known that way, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and sometimes it's not unusual even now, um, though I. I do think what's really important is that we don't get comfortable with this reality just because I'm in a technical field or because the industry I'm in is not yet, uh, you know, representing the customers that we serve. If you look at, you know, minorities and, and gender, we shouldn't get complacent and just say, okay, well, I'm used to dealing with this. It's been 20 years like this. I think we've got to still continue to be proactive and intentional about bringing more, you know, 
more views, more diversity of thought, more balance into our offices. 100%. And I know that it's a passion point of yours uh, to make sure that there's role, adequate role models um, mm-hmm. and that you have two daughters. So can you talk a little bit about this idea of how role models make a difference and help bring more women into the STEM field? Oh, sure. Yeah, I think that it's so important uh, because we know that it, you know, we there's even science around how people are going to be more likely to achieve their goals when they can see someone who is in a you know similar direction, is going down a similar path to to what to what their own you know personal passion might be. Um, you know, I've I've been I can name many. I've been really fortunate that I've been able to interact with either at a distance or close up with um, some incredible female role models. Um, you know, one, you know, I'd love to tell you about Maria Rigotti, who is here at Edison International. She's the chief financial officer. And I think a lot of us think of her as a, a role model. I first met her when I interviewed to join the company. And it was one of those kind of marathon couple of day interviews where you meet a bunch of people back to back. And and so I met her in her office and we just spent one hour together. Um, but I'll always remember that she sent me a note afterwards thanking me for coming in. You know, I was writing my own thank you notes, but she, she emailed me to thank me for coming. And I was really touched by that. Incredible. A few months later when the board elected me as an officer, so I wasn't yet at the company, she emailed me that same day to tell me that she's looking forward to me joining. And she's not my direct manager. She's not even in my reporting chain, but she's just, warm and welcoming from day one and it might have had nothing to do with the fact that we're both women but it certainly to me uh, felt like the senior executive who wasn't even leading the area that I was going to join was taking that extra five minutes to make me feel welcome and it spoke volumes about kind of the whole leadership of the company and the organization I was going to join so you know sometimes it's we don't have to have big grand gestures or carve out a whole lot of time, but sometimes it's just showing, you know, purposeful care and concern for our colleagues. You know, that is what yeah. makes everybody feel like they're all part of the team. And letting, right. Not letting everyone know they're not alone and not isolated. Right. Uh, which exactly. does happen to be more the case when you're one of the few women. Yeah. So let's talk then about male allies. Who mm-hmm. who have been your male allies and how have they helped support you? Well, I would say, you know, I've had I've had many male mentors, sponsors, allies throughout my career. You know, I've worked exclusively for men. I've never had a female boss directly. So every promotion or new opportunity when someone was taking a chance that I could grow into that role, um, I would you know, so far in my career, they've all been afforded to me by male colleagues. Um, you know, one in particular, when I was my first day of work at, at a college at Con Edison, I was assigned a mentor. They have a program where new in, new employees get assigned managers who are uh, outside their area to mentor them. And mine was Brian Horton. Uh, and he became a really good friend of mine, and we stayed very close. Uh, he passed away in 2017, but he gave me advice. Yeah, uh, but thank you. But it was, you know, someone who was willing to be, to provide honest and objective feedback that 
he delivered in a way that demonstrated that he really just cared, cared about me and he cared about the people I worked with and wanted me to be at my best. Um, and he just embodied that um, kind of value that you can get from just an open, honest you know, relationship and, and feedback, even if sometimes it's feedback that's hard to hear. So and he would go out of his way to find opportunities to observe me, like in my you know, day-to-day work, he'd come visit me at different jobs, and I'd tour him around, you know, whatever project I was working on, and then he'd be thoughtful about it, and afterwards, and he'd give me some suggestions, um, and kind of taking that specific care. Mm -hmm. Because it's like going to the gym. If somebody, if you don't have somebody watch you, you don't do it right. Oh, that's a really great analogy. I think I might use that in the future, but you got, you do, you do need to see models and you also need people to tell you how to correct your form, right? Exactly. Uh, and that, that it needs correcting. And so I, I it's something that Im- he impressed on me just by example. And I try to carry his legacy forward by helping other people and, and providing them feedback when I have that opportunity. Exactly. So how you have a huge job and you have two very young girls, how do you manage work-life balance or work-life integration? Yeah. Yeah. I like the integration instead of balance. Cause I, I don't know that I think like a lot of working parents, I don't really feel balanced all the time, but I like that yeah, like idea never. of integration. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, what I do on that is I do try to find opportunities where I can integrate the things that I care about. So one example is volunteering. Uh, We've got a lot of corporate community engagement opportunities uh, here at Edison. We, every weekend, there's probably something going on where you could help at a food bank or garden in a public park or volunteer with students. I really enjoy volunteering. And I also, though, want to spend time with my daughters on the weekend. So the idea of spending all Saturday uh, at a volunteer event that would take me away from them doesn't fit in my life right now. So I try to integrate those things and I look for opportunities where there's like an age appropriate event where I could bring my girls. Um, like yeah. they can certainly help me with gardening. And just, just this past weekend, I brought my little one with me to an event where we were packing sandwiches and she decorated the lunch bags. So you know, it's a way where I get to great. meet and new people. Great, and they learn from it. It's a great experience. Ideally, I'm hoping that, you know, they grow up and, and also have that same kind of passion for, for providing, you know, a, a connection and, and giving back to their community. Um, but at this point, you know, they'll, they go with me wherever I bring them. And so I want to do things where, where I get to spend time with my girls, but I also then, you know, get to meet new people, you know, who I'm supporting my company, I'm supporting the community that, that my company serves, and I try to do all those. And, it, you know, it doesn't work all the time. Certainly you, not, you can't always find those opportunities where, where you can double up or triple up. Um, and so the other strategy that I use is, is about prioritization and just saying no, trying to keep my to-do list as short as possible so that I'm only working on things that are on that list that I know I can do well. Uh, an example yeah. there is I really, I was a Girl Scout growing up and I wanted my girls to have that opportunity. So my six-year-old is a daisy in the Girl Scouts and I'm all in and I support and we go to the meetings, but I am not a troop leader. Like that, that's a step too far. That's a number of hours I know I don't have 
to give every week and do it well. And so even though I could have joined as a troop leader, I said, no, I said, I will join as a parent and I'm happy to be supportive, but I cannot, I can't take that on as well. You just got to find, you know, find that comfort level with, with saying no so that you can keep your list short. That's right. Uh, yeah. Very admirable. Uh, it, and I, I'm always working on it. I always forget and say no. If I say yes, I accidentally say yes to things. Uh, it's hard yeah, to remember to say no. You know, another big important part of integration or balance or whatever we want to call it is certainly the support system you build. And in my case, you know, my my husband Jim, you know, he's, you know, we we make a lot of work life decisions together. And I do think kind of one of the most important decisions that you make, especially if you want to have a family, is who you're going to partner with. Uh, and he's. He's so supportive of my job, my travel schedule, you know, what kind of mother I want to be and, you know, the kind of impact that I'm hoping my job is going to have. And so, you know, it, it makes a big difference when I'm having to make those hard trade-offs, like missing, you know, a karate tournament or something um, because of, of a priority at work and having someone there who's making you feel good about that choice and not making you feel bad about that choice, in, in my case, really helps. 100%. Uh, would you be willing to tell us about a mistake you've made and what did you learn from it? Sure. I mean, I, I think we don't talk about mistakes enough, honestly. You know, we talk sometimes now about failing fast and how we want to encourage more risk-taking and, and, you know, people learning from their mistakes, but we don't often talk about them. So I'm, I'm happy to talk and we could probably spend the rest of the episode talking about examples, but um, I'll give you one. So, a couple of years ago when actually when I was in that role where I had corporate communications and the regulatory affairs uh, group, I was uh, implementing a new pricing structure. I was in charge of getting a new pricing structure for our electric transmission lines. And we needed to get approval from the federal government to change the way that we priced it because it had impact on all of the, uh, all the people who took service off the transmission lines. And so i was doing relationship management. I went back and forth to from New York to DC on the train multiple times, met with the staff at the agency who was going to give us the, you know, um, final approval to do this. And I was so confident that we were, what we were asking for was reasonable, that we had a solid plan. And usually when you're going to go through a big pricing change like this, there's, there's a whole process because, uh, you know, people are going to, disagree and you got to work out those disagreements and you usually end up settling on something that's kind of mutually agreeable. So you go in with an ask, you work it out with all the parties and then you settle. And that's what I was expecting, but that is not what ended up happening. We put in our filing and people filed oppositions just like we expected, but instead of going through that settlement process, the federal government just issued a full rejection of our application. Uh, they said we failed oh, no. to meet something like, oh, God, it was awful. It was, they, like we failed to meet the minimum threshold or something to justify this change. And it was so unexpected. It was a very public embarrassment for my company and for me personally because I was championing it and I was sure we were, we were going to be, you know, we we're going to be successful. And it, it, took us a, it took us months to get back on track and eventually refile an amended application and go through the process. So, you know, it was a very painful experience for me in the moment. Um, but what it did is made me a lot more effective at, 
engaging decision makers and building relationships mm-hmm. and looking at the strategy, not just from, cause I'm an optimistic person and not just from yeah. the lens of how, how is everything I'm doing helping us win, you know, but looking from the strategy of the, who are the potential detractors and who might not be benefiting that, you know, their voice is going to, should be heard too. And, you know, looking from everyone's point of view, kind of the whole 360 degrees. And I kind of like to the resiliency I mentioned earlier, the whole experience definitely made me more resilient because uh, I think having had that big, you know, fall on your face moment, but then recovering just personally gave me the confidence that when you fail, you can bounce back. And even, you know, there's a phrase you can bounce forward and, and yeah. then you feel, you just fear failure less. And so it's right. it's a learning opportunity, and it also I think lets me take continue to go out there and take chances. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree, and I think I I'm not sure I knew that resilience could be a learned trait, but I think absolutely it can be. And the hardest part is the only way you get stronger is to like experience horrible setbacks. <laughs> and that's so true. And I think thinking of of the way you just said it there, we we really need to make sure we're also allowing our team members then to make mistakes, you know, remembering how much it, it was a value to us and know that they're not always going to make the right choice. Oh, our children. That's the hard one too. Right. Yeah. We're all learning through, through mistakes. Um, I'm going to ask you our five fun questions now, Jill. Um, So we love karaoke. Uh, at Fairy God Boss, <laughs> and what is your favorite karaoke song? Oh, for me, it's probably, I mean, it's anything Beyonce, for sure, or Madonna, maybe. Yeah. I think I could do, I could do like a prayer, like without, without even having the words on the screen. <laughs> a woman after my own heart. Yeah. What is your favorite way to exercise, your mind or your body? Oh, I exercise is a really big part of my life. Uh, it's kind of part of how I keep my sanity and I love to run and cycle and I take a bar class. I'm actually kind of hobbling around today because I did two bar classes back to back this weekend. So yeah, I, I think it's important way to also like carve time out for myself on the weekends. um, So that, you know, I know that it's not just about, am I dedicating every, every effort to work or am I dedicating every effort to family? You have to also remember yourself in that equation. Yeah, and it also builds resiliency. Yes. Yeah, you should get stronger and too, right? Strength. Yeah. <laughs> Who is one person dead or alive that you'd like to have dinner with? Oh, for me, I mean, my hero is definitely Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And I've been mm. always so inspired by all her writings and reading books about her and having any kind of conversation with her about, you know, her work and how she really focused on family rights and as a result was Mm -hmm. able to advance women's rights. I mean, she's just fascinating to me. Absolutely. Um, What book has had big impact on you or would you like to recommend to our listeners? I love reading. I'm, I'm always like, have to hold myself back from just recommending the whatever current book I'm, I'm really loving and enjoying. Um, but from all the books I've read, the one that I find myself recommending the most is the power of habit by Charles Duhigg. And it's about 
both individuals and also companies on how they can make really significant performance improvements by just changing small little habits. Uh, so that's a great one. And each chapter stands alone in, in many ways, so you can just read pieces of it as you go. But I love that book. I will pick that up. It sounds very worthwhile. Um, all right. So the last fast five is I'm going to ask you to brag about yourself. Could you tell us something you're great at or something you're really proud you've accomplished? Uh, yeah, I think I am proud that that I found a career that I'm passionate about and that I get to contribute to addressing climate change kind of every day. I I feel like the advances that we're making here, whether it's you know electric cars or cleaner buildings or more renewable energy, I can feel how it's making a better place for my children. Um, you know, one one specific example, I got uh, to work in New York in a program where we helped schools in New York get solar, and you know that's something that endures to this day. So those those are the types of opportunities where I just feel feel good about the the choice of the industry that I'm in and the companies that I'm working with. Absolutely. So Jill, this has been incredible. And as our last really great learnings, and I, I love hearing about your journey and your ability to be introspective and kind of really conscious of your experience. Um, so to end the podcast, we always ask, what is the last piece of advice or the one piece of advice more than anything you want to share with our audience? The most important advice is to be intentional with where you spend your time. I think a lot of times we feel busy or we feel like our calendar controls us and you it doesn't ha does not have to be like that. You know, I'm I'm regularly kind of self-auditing how I allocate my time. I look backwards at my calendar and say, you know, am I giving my customers enough attention, my team members enough attention, am I focusing on operations enough? Um and do it intentionally because time is, is the, you know, the most important resource that, that you have. Great advice. So be intentional with your time, build resiliency and, uh, and set, be a great role model and, and pass the hand back. Great advice today, Jill. Thank you so much for spending time with us. It was great to talk to you. Thank you. You too. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy Godboss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.